Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Heartland After Dark podcast. My name is Joe Tillery. I'm joined by my co-host, Derek Duke. Derek, we had some awesome football on the slate this past week, and I'm super excited to hear what your thoughts are as we take a look through each game in the Big 12 this past week and look ahead to what's next. But to start things off, we got to tell the people what we are drinking at home. Derek, what are you holding tonight? Tonight I got a uh, Knob Creek 12. Uh, I'm in the was uh, out for a birthday party earlier today, had a couple margaritas, so decided to stick with the liquor. So went with the old Knob Creek 12, absolutely delicious, and uh, might need it to, uh, later again tonight, uh, depending on uh, how my Astros do. Hey, that is true. You got a close one lined up there. We'll see how things go. Chance to secure the playoffs, I think, is it 3-2 right now? Yeah, it's 3-2 yeah, in the world. It's 3-2 going, uh, playing for the World Series, but uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up, but man, it's like every road team wins. So when Houston mm. plays at home, it hasn't been good. It's like every road team just wins. So it's been quiet. Hey. Well, I tell you what, one way or another, you might need some alcohol, but I will say this. I'm rocking some ice cold White Claw today. Kind of tastes like chemicals mixed with a glacier, but as they say, ain't no laws when you're drinking claws. So it's a good day over here in this household. But Derek, we got a, we got some wild games. I mean, that might be the understatement of the year, but we're going to start off with one where the entire internet decided to collectively point at Gus Malzahn and say, what are you doing? What are you absolutely doing? Awful calls, awful things down the stretch. Let me ask you your, your opinion, not just on the two-point conversion, but the UCF versus Oklahoma game. I think there's two definite takeaways uh, for each team here. I mean, let's face it, Oklahoma here, they were a heavy favorite coming into this game. I actually picked them as my lock of the week last week. Coming off a bye week, coming off that big Texas win a couple weeks ago, this team was riding about as high as I can get because, I mean, we were talking about this team like they were untouchable. And, and quite frankly, up to this point, they they really have been. But, man, they really came back to earth uh, on Saturday against UCF. It was just kind of sloppy on all sides of the ball. I didn't think the offense was that great for Oklahoma. Defensively, they had some breakdowns. Uh, special teams wasn't that great for Oklahoma. It was just kind of like – Oklahoma came out there. It was an 11 a.m. game. They, they kind of came out there and just expected to roll over UCF and not even have to try. It turns out they did have to try because UCF put up a, a hell of an effort and a fight. But at the end of the day, the one thing I take away from Oklahoma is, yes, they escaped with the win. But most importantly, Dylan Gabriel once again in a clutch situation when Oklahoma needed a score when they were down one late in the fourth quarter. Gabriel just marches the offense right down the field. And I had like flashbacks to that Texas game because it was just effortless, man. And I, and I know UCF doesn't have a great defense or anything like that, but really impressed with Dylan Gabriel and his composure to lead the team at the end there. Uh, th that's kind of just a sigh of relief for Oklahoma. At that point, I think for this uh, game here, if you're a Sooners fan, Brett Venables, whoever, you kind of just take this as a learning lesson to say, you know what, we're not good enough just to show up every week and just and pound teams uh, effortlessly like it's going to take our best effort too because we're getting these other teams best effort uh, on the flip side here UCF I know I'm not a guy that likes to take pride in the loss really but man you were so close to knocking off I mean you were like almost a 20 point underdog in this game uh, John Reese Plumley comes back and I tell you what Joe the difference he makes when he's running this offense is night and day compared to Timmy McLean because Reese Plumley is able to make things happen with his feet. He's able to buy time. He made some damn good throws uh, on that on that second-to-last drive for UCF where they need they got that touchdown late in the game on the fourth down. I mean, he made two throws that I thought maybe were, were his best throws of the entire season. So uh, I thought he did an outstanding job. Obviously, UCF has some things to clean up defensively. I, I wasn't a big fan of how they – played defense especially on those last two drives man Oklahoma was just running it up the gut and UCF had no answer for it but that's kind of who UCF's been so far this year um yeah and you know they tied it they were able to get within two points late in the game and you're right just uh excuse me Gus Malzahn I felt like that play call for a two-point conversion you not only you take the ball out of your best player's hands and John Reese Plumley, you try a double pass from like the two-yard line I mean i I don't understand that whatsoever. I mean, you go let Plumlee make a play with his legs, with his arms. You get him outside the pocket, and you let him make something happen. I totally disagreed with that double pass, and I hated it. Yeah, I mean, you bring up great points there for both. I mean, both teams, really. But I'll start on the Oklahoma side of things because there's a lot to talk about with UCF, but I'll get to them here in a second. You mentioned something great in there about Dylan Gabriel. 
that clutch gene isn't really something. I mean, Brent Venables roast the reporter for asking about it a couple of weeks ago. You know, most of us would think that's not really something you can train or you can't really get to the point where it's a simulated, hey, you have a chance to win this game, go win the game. You can get about as close to possible. You know, you can put Oklahoma's defense, one of the best defenses in the country out there against you. 60 seconds, get in the end zone or we lose. You know, you can simulate that a little bit. But to have a guy that's consistently showing up and doing that is huge. And while it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a bad game by any means for from Dylan Gabriel stretch. And it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't the best game of the year, but like, the guy went out there and balled. I mean, 250 passing yards, 253 to be exact, three scores, did have the pick. But, I mean, you do enough to win the game, and that's the second straight week you've seen Oklahoma go down there when it matters and convert. And I think the biggest thing you also see, let's just play a make-believe land for a second. Say UCF gets in the end zone, two-point conversion. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, they would have won because of what reason. There's There was still a minute 16 on the clock. I think Oklahoma had two timeouts left. And that was less time needed than what took them down the field at that Texas game. Just to get in a field goal range, I'm not saying that it would have happened or it could have happened, but just the possibility, I mean, that is something to consider with the, you know, the Oklahoma side of things. They still had a shot there to win. It wasn't just an end-all, be-all. But that being said, awful call on UCF. And I'll get there. I should finish up on Oklahoma here. But does this game mean that there's a smaller gap than we previously thought between Oklahoma, Texas, and the rest of the league? Maybe. But I will say that it's just it just shows that anybody can beat anybody. I mean, it's not a, okay, well, UCF's a, wor- a worse team. They don't have their first win against, you know, founding Big 12 members, whatever the case is. They showed up and really took them to the wire. Absolutely did. Had a shot late. Javon Baker has two scores. John Rice Plumley or John Reese Plumley looks great. I think there's a lot of great things to take away. And I personally, I know that this is kind of a lame thing to say, I am totally a moral victories guy because I think it motivates your squad in certain areas. Obviously, there's a limit to that when you've already had you know, two, three conference losses, it's a little bit tough to justify, but you at least like to see UCF not look dead in the water. That is the best thing you saw in this game. But touching on their team, like RJ Harvey, I texted into our group chat. The dude is electric to watch run the football. And John Reese Plumley, same thing, his legs, his arms. He's got the ability to go down the field and take UCF from this team that did not look capable of winning against relatively anybody in the league to the team that could upset the best team in the league or get as close as possible to it. I liked what I saw at UCF, but obviously that two-point conversion, it's not time to get gimmicky. It is not time to get gimmicky. That would be my biggest takeaway. But either way, that's tough. To, you know, that's a tough thing because if it works out, it works out. But I didn't love the call, but that's, you know, maybe that's why I'm not a coach. But I will move on to this next game here. Another game where we had, you know, not – it's kind of lame to say the referees decided the game because there were some things that could have gone right in this or wrong in a certain sense. But Houston, another team that took Texas to the wire that we didn't expect to be nearly as close. I think Texas entered the game as relatively close to 20-point favorites in the ballgame. Derek, what did you take away from the from the Houston Cougars and the Texas Longhorns? Kind of much like their uh, arch rival up north. I mean, for Texas, they escaped, man. I mean, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. They escaped Houston uh, by the I guess the the small hair on their chin, whatever you want to say. I don't know what saying you'd like to put there, but you can put it in there because at first this looked like a completely one-sided game. Texas jumps out to a 21-0 lead within like the first 20 minutes of the game. And, and I'm I'm pretty much out at this point. I'm giving up on Houston because I'm like, this Houston team is not able to respond. This is not who they are. Uh, just very disappointed with the effort, and I thought it was going to be a blowout from there on out. But then, you know, Texas – in the second quarter, tried a fake field goal. I think it was fourth and six. They tried a really kind of ugly fake field goal. It did not work out. Houston got a stop. And from that point on, I felt like there was a momentum shift in that game for Houston. And after that, Houston goes down to score. They score again before halftime. And all of a sudden, it's a one-score game going into halftime. And, you know, Houston's got the momentum on their side. I thought that carried over pretty nicely going into the fourth quarter. Eventually, they get, they get tied the game in the third quarter. But, man, I'll say Donovan Smith, you know, we talked about him a lot, you know, the previous week, especially before that West Virginia game. And we were talking – we're pretty hard on him, Joe. But, man, the last two weeks he has turned the corner, you know, threw for 378 yards and three touchdowns. You know, against West Virginia he threw for three touchdowns. I think four touchdowns as well. So, right now he's thrown for seven touchdowns in the last two games. Incredible, incredible effort by Donovan Smith. You know, for Houston – the tough part for me, yeah, you, you mentioned earlier with that uh, bad call at the end there. 
Houston's driving to try to get this, uh, make this a game, you know, win the game, possibly even tie it. And fourth and, you know, I think it was what, Joe? Fourth and third and short, something like that. Third and, and then, one, third and short. Third and one, third and two, and they run it. And I am, every angle that I saw on the replay, when I saw it live, looked like the ball, you know, it looked like the ball was across the first down mark. And not even that, I thought it was almost a full yard ahead. And every angle they showed, they ended up replaying it as well. And the referee said, no, he was short. And it was like fourth and – it said fourth and inches, but damn, when they pulled those chains out, it sure looked like a fourth and one to me. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know, Houston, they roll in the shotgun. Donovan, they roll out Donovan Smith to try to throw a pass. I didn't like that call either uh, by Dana. I really wish if you're going to go in shotgun, you're going to have Donovan Smith running it up the gut. You know, he's a big quarterback. Not many, many people are going to be able to tackle him one-on-one. And, I mean, the man just lunges forward, and he's already got, you know, three yards in front of him. So th- there's a lot I didn't like about for the ending for Houston there. Uh, overall, much like UCF, I'm, I'm not big into the moral victory kind of stuff, but I felt like Houston really showed me something uh, in this game, especially over the last two weeks, plus when they beat West Virginia too. But if this is the Houston team that we're going to see, you know, I just wish that we've, we saw this throughout the year. And especially in this game too, I think that kind of just tells you a little bit more about Houston is outside of that fourth quarter, I mean, they beat, excuse me, the first quarter, they beat Texas. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You know, unfortunately for them, this is a four quarter game. I want to see Houston be more consistent across four quarters. You know, even the West Virginia game, it took a miracle fourth quarter to beat them as well. So I want to see Houston be more consistent. Can they be that team? I'm not too sure, man. and, And as for Texas, this, you know, you may have won on the scoreboard, but when Quinn Ewers is hurt, you know, we, we don't know the uh, specifics of his injury just yet or how long he's going to be out. You know, did this win, you know, did this come at a loss essentially? Because if Quinn Ewers is out, this is going to change a lot of things for Texas. And he went out in the third quarter. We saw Malik Murphy a little bit. Um, he was okay. They didn't do anything fantastic. Texas was kind of just meh offensively. Our defense, they, they had some broken and busted coverages too. Xavier Worthy, I thought, had a fantastic game for them. Uh, Jonathan Brooks, another guy we talk about a lot on this podcast. I thought he was awesome as well for Texas. And if Quinn Ewers is out, Jonathan Brooks is going to have to be the feature of this offense. I think he already is to a certain extent, but he's really going to have to put on performances for them to win because they're going to get everybody's best shot, Joe. And if, if, again, if Quinn Ewers is out, I just wonder how much this changes things for Texas because if they lose this game, Joe, that's back-to-back Big 12 losses. They have two losses in conference play. One more, and you can essentially eliminate the Texas Longhorns from the Big 12 title conversation, which is crazy to say, considering, you know, two weeks ago we were talking about them, you know, being a possible college football playoff team. It was an absolute ridiculous showing in this game. So this was the game I was writing about on the website. So I I obviously, like everybody else, saw the 21-point first quarter, and I'm sitting there like, well, maybe Houston will do something. And then somehow, someway, Donovan Smith shows that little lightning in a bottle that he's had a couple of times this season. Where out of nowhere, it just clicks for him. He just gets back into it. You start getting a guy like Matthew Golden involved, Samuel Brown. There's a couple of different guys out there making plays. Houston, I mean, you, you said it. Outside of the first quarter, they beat Texas. And that's not an easy task to do. You know, obviously on the scoreboard, you lose by a touchdown, and we'll just say it like it is. That was a first down. That 100% was a first down. Bad spot. I mean, you know, you mentioned the different angles. When you watch the referees, you watch the different replays, I don't know that there was ever, you know, a spot or a look at it where I'm like, okay, I see where they're coming from. You know, sometimes those 50-50 calls where it's like a, ah, okay, I see where the ref's at. There might be not enough evidence. There might be this. There might be this. There was not one of those angles to me. Every single time I saw it, it looked like the ball carrier got across the first down, but ultimately spot it. And, you know, you said it, that was a two or three foot spot behind the chains. It was a long yard. If I mean, long inches, I would say, in that sense. There's a little bit more than that. But yeah, so you lose on the scoreboard in that sense. You lose, you know, it feels terrible in that sense, but you still played a hell of a game. I mean, Houston shocked me. You know, I think that's a fair assessment. Donovan Smith, I, I texted in the group chat and I talked about it and I was like, for some reason, there's something about Donovan Smith's game that I absolutely love. And, you know, maybe the immediate thing is you go, you know, 32 of 46 for 378 yards and three scores, obviously had the one bad pick, but essentially made up for it in the end, gets his team back into it. There's something about his game that I really enjoy, and I think that he has that ability to be one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12. However, obviously, you got to get into the win column, win a couple of games here and there, and show that consistency. So that's the thing for Houston. I mean, it's all about consistency. Really did not like the play. 
Same thing with what you said, fourth and short after they got hosed on that on that spot there late. Didn't like the idea of rolling out and throwing it. I mean, that's just kind of a – it just wasn't a great call. I'll just say it like it is. But you still fight. You still show some good things. So it was something, at least in that category, that this was a real situation for Texas. You know, Texas had to deal with Houston before considering anything else. I mean, Houston was a real threat. And I'll be interested to see how they go to Manhattan next week because this could do one of two things. You know, it could either give them all of the motivation to go out there and take down the defending Big 12 champs in their pursuit of trying to return to Arlington, or they can kind of shrivel up and go back to the Houston that we've seen multiple times this season. So I'm interested to see where they go from here. But touching on the Texas thing, biggest loss of the game, Quinn Ewers. You know, I have the the loose write-up. It's Nothing is official yet, but this is what Pete Thamel reported. Sources are basically saying... Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers has a grade two AC joint sprain in his throwing shoulder and is expected to miss some time as an MRI revealed on Sunday. Basically says the injury does not seem season ending, uh, but we'll see what the actual timetable is later this week. Now, I think right now, most of this is just speculation or what they're hearing behind closed doors. But, you know, the guy leaves the game in a sling. That doesn't seem like an injury. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a medical degree, but that is an awful injury for Texas at this point in the season. Because then you look back at your backups, and yes, you have two five stars. You have the top passer in the country in this, you know, this past class with Arch Manning, football royalty. You've got Malik Murphy, who looks like an absolute, you know, he looks like Derrick Henry playing quarterback. That's how big this dude and strong, how big and strong this dude could be. I'm interested to see where they go. And I know that BYU hasn't looked, you know, great, but they have been a solid enough team. They take down Texas Tech, they've taken down a couple of different teams in the league. They don't have an easy one either. And that quarterback position is going to be the number one thing to address, especially when you've got two big back-to-back weeks for Texas. Because you said it, there's a real possibility you lose to Houston or you would have lost to Houston in that sense. You go to BYU, not a gimme game. Then you play K-State, which is likely a big 12 title game eliminator, depending on what happens down the stretch. There's going to be some interesting things to follow for this club for sure. But that was that game. It was one of the best ones for the weekend. It was definitely a great one to watch. Now, moving on to the next game of the slate. I said it, we had a ton of great games. There's a lot of great things to look at. And another one of those games, how about Oklahoma State and West Virginia? OSU putting up almost 50 points and Ollie Gordon turning into prime Barry Sanders. What do you <laughs> think about this game between OSU and West Virginia? Man, you said it. I, you know, I did not have the joy of watching Barry Sanders at Oklahoma State in that 1988 Heisman <laughs> year. But, man, Ollie Gordon is on a another level, man. He's from a different planet. I, I, I just wonder... You know, as good as Oklahoma State has played over the last couple of weeks and watching Olive, uh, Ollie Gordon has been an absolute joy, it just makes me scratch my head that much more considering what Oklahoma State, how they <laughs> used this man early in the season. Because, Joe, you know, if they were not giving this guy the ball and we were we were sitting here questioning why, this is a guy that is, should be a feature on any offense in the entire country. This man is good enough to play for any team in the entire country and play. There's no doubt about it, and we're, I guess, Oklahoma State's just now finally realizing that, but man, 29 carries, 282 yards, four touchdowns. In the fourth quarter alone, Joe, this man had over 140 rushing yards and three touchdowns. You want to talk about closing a game, Ollie Gordon is that closer. He's like a great, outstanding pitcher, Mariano Rivera, whatever you want to call him. This man knows how to close football games because whenever you need to choose some clock at the end of the game, this is the back you want to be handing the football over to. He just makes plays, makes things happen. Uh, I thought he was outstanding for Oklahoma State. By far, was why they he was the reason why they won this game. Oklahoma State does not win this game without Ollie Gordon's performance, plain and simple. Alan Bowman, don't get me wrong, he managed the game nicely. Uh, Brennan Presley had a good game as well. But without Ollie Gordon, I, I don't know how Oklahoma State gets this done. And to the credit, you know, defensively, it's not going to look pretty. The statute's not going to look pretty. Yeah, they gave up some points, but they were able to get some key turnovers from West Virginia, especially, I'll get to a second, that muff punt that West Virginia had that led Oklahoma State to a score. That was kind of the turning point for me here. And uh, speaking of West Virginia, man, this is just, you know, Joe, I think I told you earlier in the year that West Virginia, as good as they were at the time, they had to win ugly. They were going to play in some sloppy ball games, low scoring It was one of those things where West Virginia was going to have to control the clock, play good defense, and play mistake-free football. The last two weeks, they have not done that, and it has cost them. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it for me. Garrett Green wasn't great with his accuracy, only completed 50% of his passes. The run game, however, was pretty good for him. I thought he used his legs very well. However, man, 
West Virginia starts this game off with two with back-to-back turnovers, and, and it turned into points for Oklahoma State, and that really kind of got uh, this game off to the wrong foot for the Mountaineers. I thought that I mentioned the muff punt earlier that led to a score. So West Virginia's making these kind of dumb turnovers here, and that's not who they've been, you know, leading up into the last two weeks. So it, it's really kind of head scratching for me to see this and watch this. And for a West Virginia fan, it's got to be extremely frustrating because this is not who you were two weeks ago. So I don't know what's happened since now and then, but something's definitely got to change. This team needs to get cleaned up a little bit, and, and I don't know where it really begins. But the, and defensively, they they just had some major, major breakdowns. I mean, you're letting Ollie Gordon run. He's just ripping off 10, 20-yard runs like it's nothing. And that, that's a big concern for West Virginia, and that, that's the thing. They don't have the offense to kind of get in these type of shootouts. This is not what they're built for. Then you go back to the drawing board and get some things done. But, man, I'll tell you what, Joe. After talking about Oklahoma State, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about them like, you know, is Mike Gundy the guy? You know, is he? does he still have what it takes? Is he too old? And, and he's silenced his critics right now because Oklahoma State is a legitimate threat to win a Big 12 conference title. It is crazy to me to hear those words out loud because they're all true. And that is the insane part. I mean, you start the season with three different quarterbacks for three straight games, and it you know you lose to South Alabama thirty-three to seven. This is not a Big Twelve title team, and then they turn around, beat Kansas State. Obviously, you start off the season with a loss to Iowa State, but beat Kansas State, beat Kansas, beat West Virginia. Three teams that you know may not be in the the number one top spot in the Big Twelve, but are in the upper echelon of teams that could find their way into a Big Twelve title conversation. Mike Gundy continues to prove, okay, I'm ready for this role. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, it might be my 400th game, and congratulations. I believe it was his 400th game on Saturday. There's a funny audio clip talking about it, but man, Ollie Gordon, not only is he the best player in the Big 12, he is one of the best players in the country, straight up. This dude can absolutely do everything you want of him. And the best part, I mean, we talked about it on the pod, think about three, four weeks ago when the guy was getting six carries a game, eight carries a game for, you know, 41 yards or something crazy, 50 yards. Still impressive, but then you look at 29 carries, 282 yards, and four scores. And then he's also been produ- you know, productive in the passing game as well. Obviously not in this game because the guy was unstoppable on the ground, but last week at Kansas had 100 receiving yards through the air as well as 100 plus on the ground. Ollie Gordon is generating not only NFL buzz, but the guy has generated enough buzz that he has a legit conversation to be a top three, top five and running back in the entire country right now. And I don't know that that, I mean, he hadn't fully won the job coming into the season. And that's the craziest part is you see a guy like Gordon develop and you see what he's done for the season. He has single-handedly turned this team around. Obviously, there's the development of Alan Bowman. He's played better football than I expected out of him for sure at this point in the season. But yeah, I didn't have Oklahoma scoring, or excuse me, Oklahoma State scoring 50, dang near 50 points against West Virginia. And West Virginia has a solid defense. On the other side of that coin, West Virginia, there's some things to figure out. I'm going to stick with the running back position here for a second. I've kind of hinted at it the last couple of weeks. What is going on with CJ Donaldson? He is a better player and he just his body language looks frustrated. He does not look like it's okay. Something should be giving something should work out. And I'm not saying that he's not capable of having Ollie Gordon type numbers something crazy like that. But at this point in the season, the guy has just been trudging and grinding and trying to get to the tackles. It's just not there. 13 carries, 39 yards, three yards of carry in this game and a score. Donaldson has gotten a fair share of looks, and obviously your you know your most productive rusher has been Garrett Green at the quarterback position. But West Virginia's got to be better in their regular ground attack with their with the O line they have up front. This is a better group than what's happening right now. And I know that your quarterback running for a buck seventeen probably steals the show the most in that sense. But they've got to get some more production out of CJ Donaldson. This is a guy that has first team All Big Twelve talent and can take that leap. Obviously, this season hasn't worked out yet, but there is still that possibility. But you know, you said it. It's about turnovers. I mean, this game is a turnover game, especially when you have, you know, almost 80 points. Excuse me, I, I can't do math. So 85 points basically scored between the two teams. I mean, one to two turnovers, that's going to change the whole game. So in this game, obviously, Oklahoma State, massive statement win. They've got some big games ahead, but it's interesting to see where they're headed. Does this mean West Virginia is out of the, out of the playoff race? No, or not playoff, excuse me, out of the Big 12 title race? No. But it doesn't exactly look great with where they're at in this season. You know, you lose to Houston, you lose to Oklahoma State. They've got some things to figure out, but we are going to move on here to the next game and talk about the next one of the week here. Another good game to talk about. 
How about Baylor and Cincinnati? Now we've been we've been harsh on Emory Jones. We've been harsh on Cincinnati. They had a better day, but still could not get the job done. Derek, let me toss it over to you for Baylor and Cincinnati. Just a weird, weird game, man. I I almost don't know where to even begin with this one. This one was just after watching UCF and Oklahoma. This was like kind of took a back seat for me here. I think for Baylor, the biggest thing for me is that they were able to move the ball pretty successfully against a bad Cincinnati defense. And, you know, again, Cincinnati's defense is nothing that's – they haven't been great all year. But for Baylor to only get 80 rushing yards, but to see Blake Shapin out there throw for 300-plus yards and got a touchdown, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily finding his groove or not, but it was nice to see them move the football a little bit more consistently on offense because – you know, prior to the last couple of weeks, you know, they, were, they weren't getting anything done. They weren't even scoring points. Forget field goals, touchdowns. They just weren't scoring, period. So really nice uh, for me to see them put 30-plus on the board. Uh, Kentron Jackson Jr. had a really big breakout game, five catches, 130 yards. That's a guy I've been kind of circling, waiting on a big performance from, and he finally delivered. I think for Baylor, the biggest thing for me that won this game was special teams because – you know, Cincinnati had a muff punt, much like West Virginia had, that kind of led to points for Baylor. And Isaiah Hankins, man, we don't talk about kickers. I don't know if we've ever mentioned a kicker on the podcast yet. Maybe we should. But, man, he goes four for four along of four, uh, 54 yards. This man scored 14 points for Baylor with his leg. I mean, that, that that's almost half his team points just right there, you know, riding on your kicker. That's pretty damn impressive. And if you had to put an MVP on somebody for Baylor, Isaiah Hankins is that guy because – you know, again, we don't talk about kickers very often, but you got to give him credit when credit's due because I thought he was fantastic. He was he was the reason probably why Baylor won because offensively they were just pathetic in the red zone. They were not able to finish drives, you know, outside of the second quarter, man. They did nothing. I mean, they were just kicking. It was like field goal right, field goal. It was just field goals everywhere in this game for Baylor. Uh, defensively, I thought Baylor played okay. Nothing, Nothing good, nothing great. Uh, I think the one thing for Cincinnati, though, that really stuck out to me, and again, another team that lost, I hate moral victories, but man, this was the best Cincinnati performance offensively that I think I've seen all year from them. This is kind of what we've been waiting on for them. Uh, Emory Jones did not turn the football over, which is a first. I felt like I haven't said that all year, but 162 yards, not great, but through two touchdowns, zero picks. Him not turning the ball over is going to be really key for this offense. And give credit to Cincinnati because on the ground, they got it done. 288 rushing yards, averaging over 6.7 yards per carry. Uh, Corey Kiner and Miles Montgomery combined for 130, oh, excuse me, 232 yards on the ground, uh, You know, both averaging over 8 yards a carry. So I thought they did some really fantastic things on the ground. And it's nice to see when it's not Emory Jones running the football 20 times a game. So I really, really like that from Cincinnati. Uh, unfortunately for Cincinnati, man, defensively they just weren't able to get uh, get in a, uh, get anything, any kind of stops. You know they were able to shut down Baylor from scoring a ton, but you know they they just let Baylor move the ball too much in this game for my liking. But again, I, I think there's positives from both sides to take away from this game. Yeah, there definitely were positives that you know realistically you haven't seen this season. Cincinnati. I mean, there was life on the sideline, and I think that's the biggest takeaway in my eyes. It felt like the team was actually playing for each other. It didn't feel like, you know, I don't want to dunk on the squad, but it didn't feel like as much of a charity case where guys are going out there and just going through the motions, to be honest, towards, you know, some games were out of hand in like early or late second quarter, early third quarter. There were games where Cincinnati's just trying and trying to get something going, and it never seems to happen. This game was better. This is the game you wanted to see. Emory Jones. 19 of 30, a buck 62, and two scores. Didn't turn the football over, and that's huge. There is good in Emory Jones, and I think it's good to see him go out there. And I mean, yeah, you didn't win the game, but you have to feel good, especially with some of the conversations starting to get a little bit bigger about the quarterback position. It was nice seeing him go out there and have some success. Obviously, you lose by three. That sucks. But like Cincinnati isn't in a place where they're competing for, you know, realistically, they're not competing for bowl eligibility in my mind sitting two and five at the moment, unless something drastically turns around. It's just not that season. Not to say a throw in the towel effort is what's coming next, but it was good to see you actually compete in the Big 12 for the first time this season. That's really like, you know, you've had some upside. I mean, the Oklahoma game surprisingly wasn't their worst football game they played, which is kind of an interesting thing that I forgot to mention earlier that Oklahoma struggled with UCF and Cincinnati, but obviously (laughs) I, I jumped back to that. But 
Cincinnati at least showed there's some good things happening there, and that's a good thing going forward. They weren't careless with the football, and I appreciated that. That's always a good recipe for winning football games. But it was Baylor getting the job done. I mean, you said it. Special teams was the difference. You know, you watched the returner get absolutely popped for a quick scoop and score on the opening kickoff. And that was one of the harder legal hits I've heard in, you know, the last year or two. I mean, I guess now that I think about it, that Kobe Bryant hit in the BYU game was pretty, yeah, it was pretty intense. But um, I think there's a lot of great things to see from Baylor. And even though I don't know that this team is capable of beating some of the better teams in the league, it's good to see them come out with the win. I mean, that's in a, in a hostile environment. You know, Cincinnati, you can see the home environment, the field going their way. So Baylor getting that one, that's a good win for Dave Aranda. Even if people have been kind of hit or miss on Aranda and where he's headed this season, that was a good one to have. But moving on to this one, it's an interesting one because there's a lot of moving pieces in the quarterback position in this game. Texas Tech, BYU, Texas Tech rolls in with Jake Strong as their quarterback, played some at Kansas State last week and had a couple of turnovers there. Went out there as a true freshman. We had a couple of true freshmen starting this week in the Big 12. But Derek, what'd you think about Texas Tech and BYU? Domination from BYU, man. I mean, I know the sh- uh, the scorebo- scoreboard isn't going to show it, but BYU handled Texas Tech pretty thoroughly. And I'm not going to lie to you, when Jake Strong was announced as a starter, when Baron Morton was out, um, since his health status was up in the air, I definitely had some major concerns for Texas Tech. And yeah, I should have trusted my gut with that one because I was, I was right on that. Because Strong, man, once again, and Joe, I got to ask you just straight up right off the bat mm-hmm. here. Why is Jake Strong throwing 37 passes as a true freshman on the road in Provo? Yeah, I Zach Kit, Kitley's job this season has been one of the most frustrating ones to watch all year. It doesn't make sense to see what they're doing, especially with the true freshman. I don't have an answer, but it is baffling to watch every single week happen. Yeah, I, it's it's head scratching because last week against Kansas State, a good Kansas State defense. They, it's like they let Jake Strong just have the reins to the complete the whole offense and just say, hey, you do your thing, man. Chuck it deep, you know, run and gun, sling, whatever. And he throws three interceptions, throws three interceptions this game. And it, I don't know if anybody really watched the game that closely, but BYU probably could have picked this man off at least six times because there were like two or three drop passes that were just right in the hands of BYU defenders. I mean, these interceptions weren't even close, man. I mean, it was really frustrating to watch if you're a Texas Tech fan. And Taj Brooks didn't have his best day, but I didn't think the offensive line was that great either. He got actually 31 carries, but averaged less than three and a half yards per carry. Uh, BYU was all over the run game. They're all over Taj Brooks. It was going to have to be up to Jake Strong to win that game. And he is in no position right now as a true freshman on the road in Provo, Utah. There's no way he was going to get it done, and he didn't. And, you know, to Texas Tech's credit, I thought they played pretty clean defensively, you know, in spite of turning the ball. I mean, Texas Tech turned the football over five times. I don't care who you are. If you're going to turn the ball over five times against BYU on the road, you're just not going to win the game. Forget about it because it's not going to happen. And that's exactly what happened with Texas Tech. You know, despite the five turnovers, I thought their defense actually kind of kept them in this game at points. But really, really frustrating. And, if you're, you know, and, and Tech fans have every single right to criticize Zach Kittley, because that I, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't understand what's going on. Maybe he needs to get a little more creative. But there's no reason Jake Strong, as a true freshman, needs to be throwing almost 40 passes a game. That that That's just ridiculous. Um, as for BYU, they are such a mystery team to try to figure out. I mean, they lose to TCU by 30-plus points on the road. They come back and beat Tech by double digits. I don't know how you really explain that to your fans. I don't know how that happens, but uh, just it, it's mind-boggling to say the least because Keaton Slovis, he didn't do anything great in this game. His accuracy is so-so. He did throw two touchdown passes. I guess the good thing is for BYU, they were able to uh, rush for uh, five yards of carry, 150 yards on the day, but they didn't really have to do a whole lot considering Texas Tech just kept giving them great field position time after time. And I think BYU was able to cash in a few times, especially in the first half. I mean, they scored 24 in the first half, and they kind of just coasted three points in the second. So really kind of interesting and head-scratching performance by BYU. But, hey, you got the win when you need to get a win. And, you know, they're off to a 5-2 and two start. I mean, that's pretty impressive. We were talking about this team being maybe a, a fringe bowl team. So now they have a chance to, you know, their schedule is going to get really tough from here on out. It's not going to be easy, but 
man, if they can get to six or seven wins, I, I consider that a pretty big year for BYU. You know, you said it. You said a lot of great things there. And I think the craziest thing to think about, BYU as a team this year does not compute to me. Like, I, I, I look at their team, and I'm baffled at how well things go half the time, and then I'm also baffled when things go wrong. Because there's just – this is one of the most unpredictable teams in the country. They look different every single week. Obviously, that's going to be partially the fact you're playing a true freshman and you're playing different levels of competition. But BYU continues to win in games where I'm like, this is going to be a tight contest. And then they go, they turn around and do something wild in a game that I don't expect them to do anything in. Like, they absolutely throttled tech, uh, or excuse me, they got absolutely throttled by TCU the previous week. Was it 44 11, if I'm not mistaken, or something in that range, where Josh Hoover looked incredible? And then the drastic swing, where we'll talk about that game here in a minute. TCU did not look like the previous week. BYU has just been drastically confusing. They're an, an anomaly of a team. But I tell you what, you've got to feel really great if you're a BYU fan right now. Or if you're anyone affiliated with BYU, you got to feel great. I mean, your first year of the program, or the first year in a conference, in the Big 12 conference, you're the best of the four new teams. You know, Houston's looked good at times, but obviously not the same. UCF has struggled with things. Cincinnati's looked like, you know, the worst team in the league. At times, I think each of the four teams has to an extent, with the exception of BYU. You got to feel great where you're at with BYU, but you said it, it is not an easy schedule ahead. You know, the next couple of games, let me read this to you. You've got Texas, not an easy game. Yes, that'll be without Quinn Ewers, I assume. I can't imagine he gets back this quick uh, with the AC joint. West Virginia, the following week, that game's in Morgantown. So you go to Austin, then Morgantown, then you're back home in Provo for the next two weeks, but you still have to take on Iowa State and Oklahoma even though those games are at home, still tough games. And then you close out with Oklahoma State. So we're going to learn a lot more about BYU and how they handle some of the better teams in the Big 12 going forward. But you said it, and this is the question I'd ask. Taj Brooks still exists. And it doesn't make sense to me. Like, yes, he had a chunk of carries in this game. 31 carries, 105 yards, one score. This is a game where I don't want Jake Strong throwing the football. Like, not, not to say he can't throw the football ever, but... Unless it is more than third and six, third and seven, or it's absolutely they're loading the box every play, I don't want the guy to have to be my best playmaker. And that's the position that Zach Kittley keeps, keeps putting him in. You saw it last week against Kansas State. You saw it again against BYU. In two weeks of football, three halves total, because he played the second half against Kansas State, Jake Strong has turned the football over six times. He has six interceptions. Just let that sink in. I know he's a true freshman. I'm not trying to say this kid should be better than this, but your team is not setting you up for success. You know, you've gone 35 of 65 on the season, just under 50 or just over 50% completion percentage, 400 yards passing, two scores, six interceptions. That has not been great. And you can't really blame Jake Strong for that. It's just a situation where it's like, all right, your coaching staff is doing absolutely nothing to help you. And I think we've talked about a little bit on the website talking about which team has been the most disappointing team to follow it has to be texas tech i mean we talked about it early in the early in the season this is a title contender team that we all expected obviously you lose a quarterback then you lose your backup quarterback you lose a couple of players here and there but this team is flirting with not getting to a bowl game and they were a big 12 title dark horse a dark horse for a big 12 title early this season it continues to blow my mind what's happening in lubbock but i assume that you know it's not going to get any easier i mean that's another thing it's not going to get any easier but Hopefully they can get healthy. Obviously, you're not going to have a ton of different players hit the field with some of the long-term injuries they have, but it confuses me to see what's happened with Texas Tech and how quickly things have turned from the season to now. But the final game of the weekend, talking about the biggest blowout of the weekend for that set, for that matter, the defending champion Kansas State Wildcats taking on TCU in Manhattan. True, two true freshman quarterbacks in this game, with the exception you have Will Howard coming in and out here and there. Derek, what do you think about Kansas State taking on TCU? Joe, this was a total ass whooping, and I, I don't know. I, I'll be pretty blunt with it. I don't know how else to say it because, again, we're talking about BYU early, uh, earlier. How much a, a week a excuse me? How much a difference a week makes? How about TCU? You beat BYU by thirty plus, and then you go to Kansas State and you lose by thirty plus. I, I <laughs> it's almost I don't know how to explain that. I, I don't know how anybody can explain that. Um. I guess I'll just kind of get the bat out of the way here. Josh Hoover, not the guy we saw against BYU. Uh, 23 for 43, 187 yards, uh, 
one interception, averaged 4.3 yards per reception. That's terrible. I, I don't know how you're going to get the job done. You could forget about the running game. BYU, excuse me, TCU was down so much that they couldn't run the football. They couldn't do, quite frankly, they couldn't do anything in this game. Uh, they gave up 343 yards to Kansas State on the ground. You do that against Kansas State, you're going to get beat 10 times out of 10. I thought TCU was awful. I, I'm trying to think of a performance that TCU's had in recent memory outside of the obvious one, the national championship game, where they just got beat so handily because, man, I, I have not seen that happen from TCU, especially under Sonny Dykes. I know he's only in year two, but I, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit confused about this team. Maybe they do need Chandler Morris back. Maybe Josh Hoover's not that guy for them. Uh, obviously, we know they lost a lot last season, but Joe, get this. Third on third down, TCU converted two out of thirteen third downs. Uh, that's uh, I, that's almost unheard of. And, and meanwhile, on the flip side, Kansas State converts ten out of their thirteen third downs. I, I mean, I couldn't see a more you couldn't find a more opposite stat line in this game between these two teams. And <laughs> excuse me, after and watching Kansas State here. Some good takeaways, man. I I don't know how much you can really take away in a blowout like this. Uh, I liked what I saw from Avery Johnson again. You know, he ran the football extremely well, 73 yards. Uh, wasn't as good as he was against Texas Tech, but I thought he was pretty fantastic. And how about Will Howard? You know, coming, uh, you know, last week many people thought he was done. Comes in, throws three touchdowns in this game. I thought he was great as well. So maybe Kansas State uses this two-quarterback system, but – you know, this from a from start to finish, this was a blowout. You know, Kansas State got up 21 to three in the first quarter and never looked back. The Wildcats had over 400 yards at halftime, Joe. At halftime, I mean, that you know, they just coasted from there. I mean, that that's pretty much what happened. I felt like Kansas State could have put 70 on the board against DCU, and you know, it wouldn't have been a big deal, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but. You know, credit to Kansas State, and, and much like Oklahoma State, this is a team that is becoming very dangerous, a team that you do not want to see on your schedule if you're playing late later in the year. So this is a team I think that's going to be uh, quietly gaining momentum. And they're not going to be talked about because of that lost Oklahoma State, but just maybe Oklahoma State's a little bit better than we all thought. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a safe bet. You know, Oklahoma State got a lot of flack early in the season, obviously, for, for you know, it was warranted, to say the least. You know, you had the three-quarterback situation, and I know that Mike Gundy, to an extent, Pete wrote it about it in an article, and he's like, Mike Gundy's sim- somewhere looking at this K-State game saying, that's what I was trying to do early in the season. That's what I wanted to do. Looking at the Will Howard Avery Johnson situation with Kansas State. Yeah, this is an ass kicking. I mean, you said it. Not one great thing to take away from TCU. I mean, the great thing is you don't have a ton of injuries, I guess you can take that away. But at some point with the true freshman thing, and I know there's an argument to be made for Avery Johnson. I'll talk about that here in a second. But Josh Hoover, Jake Strong, when you line these guys up to go out there and throw it 40, 50 times a game, there's going to be issues. And I know that like you're down 40. It's not exactly a game you're going to get back into by running the football, but Kansas State shut down every single thing that happened with TCU. Special teams, Kansas State outmatched them. Offense, defense, Kansas State. This was a big statement piece for the, for the Wildcats. But TCU, I mean, you want to talk about how high they were last week and how low they are this week. That is a wild 180 to say the least. I think that if if anything, Chandler Morris, not to say he took a breath of fresh air or anything crazy like that, but there was a lot of people after this past week just flat out saying, all right, Josh Hoover's the guy. Don't worry about Chandler Morris. Let him right off into the sunset. We'll move on. That did not look like the case. I mean, Josh Hoover, you're playing, yes, you're playing the defending Big 12 champions, and it's not a game that you're really like, you're a seven and a half point underdog. I think it was somewhere around seven at kickoff. It's not going to get any easier, but I don't know enough about this TCU team right now. They're just, they're a confusing bunch. Play calling hasn't been great. Overall coaching hasn't been great. There hasn't really been a great takeaway for them, but next week they take on, or excuse me, on Thursday, I mean, I'd say next week, but coming up on Thursday, they take on Texas Tech in Lubbock. We don't know, I guess, I don't know if Baron Morton's going to be back for that game. I don't think so, but we might get a Josh Hoover, Jake Strong match next week. And so that'll be, you know, that'll be something in itself to watch for. But let me talk about Kansas State a bit. I mentioned the two quarterback thing, and I know that I also, well, actually, I should probably touch on the two true freshman thing. Avery Johnson is an anomaly. I mean, he makes mistakes. He does have his freshman mistakes. There's a couple of sacks he took where he could have just thrown it away or had some overthrows here and there and different things like that. That'll be good, valuable learning experience for him going forward. But the best thing that I saw from this game, I mean, there was there's an argument to made that the first play having both quarterbacks on the field so one guy doesn't get booed 
over the other. You know, if you trot Will Howard out there and the fans boo because they want Avery or vice versa, because there's kind of that fan base that wants Will Howard, doesn't want Avery, whatever the case is, that was a great call. But what I'm starting to notice about Kansas State, they absolutely rolled TCU. If that happens, you can run two quarterbacks and just alternate drives. However, this two quarterback thing, because Kleiman talked about it post game, and I, I think I wrote an article about it today, basically saying, I don't know if I expect this to continue. I don't think that the two quarterback split will continue. The way they're playing, this is going to be a question each game of, okay, we'll start with Will the first drive, second drive goes Avery, goes to Will, goes to Avery. And after four drives, after three drives, whatever the case is, if there's a clear hot hand, they're riding with that guy. And it's going to be a game-to-game thing. Not for the rest of the season, not for the rest of the year. Each game, you're going to see each quarterback is my expectation. And then you'll find the hot hand. If one guy is, you know, leaps and bounds above the other for that game, like you saw in Texas Tech, you'll see Avery take the load. Or if Will Howard, I mean, he was dealing in this game. Didn't obviously play the whole game, but 10 to 16, 154 yards and three scores. Kansas State looked like an absolute threat. And I said it earlier when I was talking about Texas, but, and especially if viewers can't get back on the field, because that's going to be, you know, you don't want to rush an injury back, but that's going to be a real thing for Texas to worry about. K-State takes on Houston this weekend in Manhattan. And then the week after that, November 4th, travels to Austin to take on Texas. And that game will likely decide, you know, who's going to a Big 12 title. Obviously, anything can happen on any given week, but you would expect that game to have some major repercussions for the rest of the season. So that's the thing to take away is we learned a lot about Kansas State. TCU, I can't tell you one thing, good or bad. This team just doesn't make much sense to me. I guess I could tell you some bad things if I had to. You know, if you twisted my arm about TCU this week. But I will ask you this, because we had a lot of different things happening. Do you have some overall thoughts on the weekend, and where do we go from here, I guess? Just another week of madness, man. I, I you know, I've probably said it a hundred times, but this conference is just so damn unpredictable, it's not even funny. I, I don't know how the odds makers are, are in Vegas are doing this. They, they must be pulling their hair out trying to figure out these Big 12 lines every week because – the underdogs once again, all but one underdog covered uh, this week. You know, in six games, so it has been just a wild like last three weeks of just underdogs covering. You know, and I think for me, the biggest takeaway, I guess, I if I had to say one, would be Oklahoma and Texas. They're human people. They they are human. They are not untouchable by any means. We saw that with Oklahoma against UCF. We saw that against Texas against uh, with Texas and Houston. You know, these teams can be beat on a get, you know, in on any given day, you know, depending on what happens. You know, if you catch them on an off day, you can get beat in this conference. And, you know, Oklahoma's a team that's kind of found that out over the last few years when they kind of fall asleep at the wheel, where a team like Kansas State or Oklahoma State or or you know, even that one year Iowa State knocked them off or Baylor, whoever it may be. So they're gonna get everybody's best shot in this conference and they better buckle up and be ready each week. Cause if they're not you know, they're going to have some problems. And especially now, and I'll focus kind of here on Texas to kind of end it, that that injury to Quinn Ewer is very concerning. Uh, and, you know, if you're a Longhorn fan, that Big 12 title picture for them is getting a little bit more cloudier by the week. I agree. You know, I, I wanted to touch on that because that was kind of my, my overall takeaway is looking at the standings currently this week. I think at this point, and anything can happen. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there could be a title game where we have multiple losses, you know, three, three lost teams in there, but it's just not very likely at this point, given what the rest of the schedule looks like for some of the top teams at this point in the season, it's looking to me like if you have three losses, you're done. And I know that it could change, but you looked at the guys after that, you look at the two lost teams, you can cut off some of these teams as well to an extent, unless somebody hits a complete, you know, Mike, Mike Gundy 180 mode. So there is that caveat that I'll give, but you look at the list. I mean, Baylor two and two in the conference, West Virginia two and two, BYU two and two, Kansas two and two. Maybe West Virginia, maybe Kansas can find a way into that you know conversation, but it's going to be an uphill battle. Then you look at the one loss teams. You've got everybody but Oklahoma, so you've got Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas, all at three and one in the conference, and then you've got Oklahoma at the top at four zero. These are the teams. Like these next couple of weeks, we're going to learn everything about the league, and I know that's to be expected, but. I just can't wait to get started. We're going to learn a lot here in the next couple of weeks, but I think that that's going to be a situation where if you get to that three loss spot, you know, that two loss to three loss spot, you're going to have, you're going to have to, you know, be watching behind you a little bit because people can one up you fast in this league. But I do want to mention here, you know, we talk about a lot, a lot about what's coming up next. What's the next week's games. We've got some lines here looking, looking ahead to week nine, starting off here, UCF minus six versus West Virginia. 
Kansas plus 10 versus Oklahoma. Baylor minus three versus Iowa State. Texas minus 14 versus Houston. Texas minus 16. This line has not changed with the Quinn Ewers news yet. It probably will jump down a little bit. Texas minus 16 versus BYU. And to round things off, Oklahoma State minus seven versus Cincinnati. Of those games, there's going to be some good ones in there. And I'll go through each game and ask for your picks. Derek, do you want to go first or second in this? I will give you the option to defer or to receive. Mm, I'll let you, Joe, Joe, I'll let you go first. I feel like I was going right. first. You go ahead, Joe. All right, I'll jump in here. So you've got UCF taking on West Virginia. This game is in the bounce house. It's in Orlando. I don't know. You've learned a lot about West Virginia the last couple of weeks where they've just looked flat. Do I expect that trend to continue? I'm not entirely sure, but I'll look at this. The points are, it's a lot of points. Six points is a lot of points in this contest. I feel like this feels like a three-point game. You've seen a lot of these these teams go to that spot. Even though these feel like two different teams in terms of uh, momentum, you've got UCF with their starting quarterback back, heading back. They could make a case for it. Obviously, West Virginia's got a good enough team to win this game. I'm going to ride with West Virginia just based off the fact that I think six points is a little bit too high. Give me West Virginia in the points. Derek, what say you? Spicy, Joe. I'm going to roll with UCF, man. I think this is the week where they get their first Big 12 win. I feel good offensively where they're at with John Reese Plumley now healthy, uh, running the show for them. Defensively, I have some concerns about West Virginia's ability to run the football because UCF's proven time and time again they haven't been able to stop that. But, man, I'll tell you what, at home, the bounce house, I'm liking, I'm liking UCF. And I also the thing I question about West Virginia is, how are they going to respond after back-to-back losses? You know, everything was in front of them to start the season, you know, when they were on a roll, reeling off two straight Big 12 wins. But now I wonder after back-to-back losses, how is this team going to going to play in Orlando? Definitely valid concerns. I will pitch you this. Kansas plus, or plus 10 versus Oklahoma. This game is in Lawrence. Jalen Daniels, it sounds like, is trending back towards playing. Do we know that's official? No, but that's where we're at right now. Derek, what do you think about the Jayhawks getting 10 points at home versus Oklahoma? Great story for Kansas. Uh, had a tremendous start to the season. You know, we, we've talked about many times on this show about Jalen Daniels and his health status. It's still up in the air. It's like you get no info coming out of Lawrence about his status, man. And, and you know, we, we obviously have our own theories and, and opinions on what's really going on there. But if Jason Bean's playing – in this game, you know, he's a respectable backup. He's done some great things for them. Oklahoma is going to play pissed off after that UCF game. I think that really lit a fire under them, even though they didn't lose. I, I think that was a slap in the face wake up call that this team maybe really needed. And I think they're going to take it out on Kansas. I, I got Oklahoma covering that big spread. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's increased, it's growing increasingly harder in my mind to roll with Kansas, but I mean, the quarterback situation is a real thing. I mean, Jalen Daniels, like, there probably isn't as just with how much we've we've blown the situation out of proportion a little bit. Not just you and I specifically, but just everyone in the Big Twelve anticipating a return from Jalen Daniels. I think it's safe to say. I mean, the guy hasn't played football since week two, week three of the season. I think there's going to be a little bit of rust there. If he is back, they'd have to ease him in a little bit. I just don't know if we know about the Kansas quarterback situation enough. I'm going to have to side with you on that and go Oklahoma minus ten. It's going to be close. I feel like it could be a closer game than that, but I think that a a smart betting man will go Oklahoma in this case. But I will jump into the next game. Baylor minus three, taking on Iowa State. This game is in Waco. Derek, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I will be taking Iowa State plus three. That is all I'm going to say about this game. Iowa State is the pick here in my mind. Could you justify Baylor? I'm sure, but I do not think Baylor is as good of a team as Iowa State, and that's where I'll rest my case. Iowa State definitely on a roll. Baylor did get a big win uh, against Cincinnati on the road. However, I- I'm still not a believer in this Baylor team this year, and the way Iowa State's been playing lately, I think they're on a- an upward trend. I think that trend continues uh, in Waco, and I'm actually going to be on hand for this game here uh, between Atta these boy. two. So I'm going to go ahead to make the trip to Waco on Friday night and uh, go. But, uh, man, I like the Cyclones in this one. I think it's tough to roll with Baylor. But moving on to the next game here, you've got – Kansas State minus 14 taking on Houston. Houston's on the road in Manhattan. Derek, what do you think about the Wildcats getting, you know, it's a two touchdown spread in this game versus Houston? Man, I <laughs> I hate these big spreads. We got three <laughs> spreads here that are double digits, and those are like the absolute worst to try to predict. 
you know, Houston, great story. Back-to-back weeks, they, they've covered the spread, obviously. They won a game outright as an underdog against West Virginia. They were neck-and-neck neck with Texas. You know, is this is this the week where Houston maybe puts it all together? I, I don't really know. Do I trust this team? I don't. If there's one thing I trust, it's Kansas State. It's their quarterbacks. It's Howard. It's, it's Avery Johnson. So those are the guys that I trust in this game. I'm going to roll with Kansas State as double-digit favorites here. I'm going to take them to cover. Yeah. I mean, this game is tough because I can – the more I look at it, I can almost talk myself into going with Houston. You know, the storyline sem- somewhat makes sense. I mean, they're going to be upset after that Texas game. But Houston having a pissed-off energy doesn't threaten me the way it should maybe. Um, I'm going to take Kansas State minus 14. I think that the that the Wildcats are going to finish the season close to perfect at home. I don't expect them to lose a game at home. They're already, I think, 4-0 at this time at home. Um, 14 points, yeah, it's a lot. But you just, you know, you beat the brakes off TCU. And I think if TCU and Houston played today, that line would be semi-close, to say the least, regardless of which way it's going. I will take Kansas State minus 14 and expect the, the defending Big 12 champs to show up. Last or excuse me, second to last game in this sense. Texas minus 16 versus BYU. You said it. Absolutely hate the big lines. I hate them. I mean, it's so tough to predict. You saw last week with both Oklahoma and Texas getting 16 to 20 points. I forget what the exact spreads were in that. I know that it was one at one on one, but the games came down to two, three points down the stretch. Obviously, the Texas game is a seven point game, Oklahoma, a two point game. I'm going to take BYU. Because I think this line will drop significantly right now. It's still at 16, but I feel like it'll probably get closer to nine and a half or 10 if it wants to swing that much. It will depend on what the Quinn Ewers news is. It could also just stay around there and just be like, well, Malik Murphy, stud, Arch Manning, stud. Someone will figure this out, you know, whatever. I'm going to take BYU. I think this is going to be an adjustment period for Texas and they'll have to adjust faster than capable in my mind. That's what I think about that one. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you here because the status of Quinn Ewers being unknown, I don't think he's going to play in this game. And with backup Malik Murphy, or maybe this is the week we see Arch Manning, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen for Texas or who's going to play quarterback for them. But first game, I know they're at home against BYU. BYU's not been a very good road team this year. But you know, with the backup quarterback situation, I don't like the spread for Texas. So I'm going to take BYU to cover for that reason. I think that's the safe bet here. Last game of the of the week, Oklahoma State minus seven versus Cincinnati. Derek, what are you taking in this one? Oklahoma State by at least two touchdowns for me. This this is probably maybe the easiest spread for me to predict. Uh, I like the Cowboys in this game. Cincinnati uh, showed me a little something against Baylor, but that was Baylor. This Oklahoma State team right now, uh, much like Kansas State and Iowa State, are teams that are on that upward trend that I really really like right now, and that are. That are dangerous teams right now, man. And I, I really like Oklahoma State, what they're doing, Ollie Gordon. There's no way Cincinnati slows down Ollie Gordon. I'm taking the pokes. I think the other thing to look at here, this game is in Stillwater. And Stillwater has been a nightmare for anybody playing there this season. I mean, not even just this season. It's been that way for the last you know decade at least. There's a lot of things going on there. I think Oklahoma State is the easy pick here, even in a world of Big 12 football where nothing is an easy pick. I will take Oklahoma State minus seven to cover. I think it could very easily be 10 to 14 points in this matchup in my mind. But Derek, I will let you go first on the locks because I got to go first in the overall lines. So Derek, if you had to stamp one of these games, which one are you stamping? Man, I think I'm going to stamp Oklahoma State. I think that I said that was the easiest game for me to pick. I, I'm putting a stamp on Oklahoma State against Cincinnati. I, I think seven points might be a little low. Uh, I think that's a pretty good bet right now that if I had to take one bet and go to Vegas and put money on it, I think that's the Big 12 game I'm taking. Uh, again, I don't trust Cincinnati. Uh, not, a, not a very good offense. I think Oklahoma State uh, got a good enough to defense. I think there's going to be some turnovers in this game. And again, Ollie Gordon, the big X factor for me for Oklahoma State. I, I'm, I'm rolling with the Cowboys, man. I, I'd cash it in. That definitely makes sense to me. I mean, Oklahoma State has proved, you know, they've got momentum. That is the biggest thing for me. They have all the momentum. They're playing at home. They're the better team on paper. If you can put those things together, I see that one working out. I'm going to take Iowa State plus three. I think that's where I'm going. I feel pretty confident about it. Obviously, you're going on the road, so there's always a degree of that element. But I think that's going to be the game I'm rolling with. Iowa State plus three is going to be my lock. Derek, closing thoughts overall on the episode on the weekend on things going on. I will give you the floor. Man, 
another wild week of football, Joe. It, it's like we talk about this all the time. Just absolute madness. Fall madness is in full effect. The the weather here may be cooling down, maybe cooling down where you're at, but the Big 12 title race is just heating up. Man, things are going to be fun and getting spicy down the road here because we just have a bunch of one and two lost teams in this conference. And eventually, sooner or later, things are going to start to shake out and shape up. So I'm really excited for that to happen. We got another full slate of action uh, coming up this weekend. Again, I'm on the road, so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing some uh, in-person action, which is always fun, getting to see uh, another Big 12 venue. But just looking forward to another week of football, man. And, and next week we'll be sitting here talking about the uh, who, who's coming in, who's coming out. So the title race continues to shape itself. Well, Derek, you'll have to let us know how things go down in Waco. We'll all be tuning in, watching the game. So we'll keep our eyes out for you on the broadcast somewhere in the stands, drinking a nice cold beer, whatever you end up with your hands on. But guys, thank you so much for listening to the Heartland After Dark podcast. We appreciate you guys listening to each and every week. We'll be back next week with another awesome slate of college football games. Thank you guys for all the continued support. We appreciate you each and every day. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we will talk to you in the next one.